us pray. Great God of steadfast love, we study your works and delight in your ways. Illuminate our understanding by your spirit, that we may reverence your name, grow in your wisdom, and discern between good and evil. Amen. Our first reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her animals. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has set out her servant girls, and she calls from the highest places in the town. You that are simple, turn in here. To those without sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Our second reading is from Psalm 39. And I'm going to start at verse 7 through 12. And now, O Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am silent. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. You chastise mortals in the punishment of sin, consuming like a moth what is dear to them. Surely everyone is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not hold your peace from my tears. For I am your passing guest, an alien like my forebearers. And our sermon text continues where we left off the last two weeks with Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 20. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, among yourselves singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, give thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God for the people of God. So over the last two weeks, we've talked about what it means to grow in faith, coming from a place of humility, admitting our need for God, and then how to live as those who follow God. And now in this short five verses, this idea of living not as unwise people, but as wise people. Have you ever known a wise person? Does someone pop into your head when I say a wise person, a picture of somebody in your life? I have one that pops into my head all the time, and it was my grandpa, my grandpa Stout, my mom's dad. He was what I considered a wise person. He always had these kind of nuggets to share at different points when I was growing up. And I remember being with him he always waited to Christmas Eve to go out and do his Christmas shopping. So when I was in my late teens, early 20s, a couple of years, I went with him. And he would have them gift wrap everything, and he'd 
be done in a matter of a couple of hours. So I went out with him back when there were malls, and that's where you went to do Christmas shopping. And someone who made, maybe they were homeless came up and asked for money, asked him for money. And he gave him $20. And I asked him afterwards, because he had kind of, this person who had asked for money had, you know, told this story about what he needed the money for. Something like his family was stranded or something like that. And he gave him $20. And afterwards, I asked him, I said, Grandpa, you know, he probably wasn't telling the truth. And he's probably not going to use that $20 for what he said he was going to use that $20 for. And I'll never forget this, and it has impacted me for the rest of my life. He said, that's not up to me to worry about. He said, I gave him that money based on what he told me, and that's between me and God. What they do with that money is between them and God. And that just blew my mind. And it's had a lasting impact on me. It's how I approach giving. It's even how I approach leading congregations in giving. This idea that, yep, some people are going to work the system. And sometimes you're going to give money to somebody who's not being truthful and they're going to use it for things that you wouldn't want them to use it on. She knows. She knows. But we're not responsible for outcomes. We're responsible for meeting the need in front of us in that moment. And what they do with it is between them and God. So wise words had a lasting impact. They've been shared with other people. I think wisdom is something that when you find someone with it, you recognize it. You recognize in them something that you are drawn to, that you want to learn from. On the flip side of that, have you ever known someone who'd say it is foolish? Or maybe you have been the foolish one if you've been on this earth for any amount of time. Someone who's foolish doesn't really listen to other people. They don't really learn from other people. They think they've got it all figured out. They think they know everything they need to know. And they kind of move through this world doing things that makes everyone go, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's good. There have been whole television shows devoted to this. Foolishness is the absence of wisdom. And there's something in those terms that deal with growth as well. A foolish person doesn't really grow as a person. A wise person grows and matures. For everything we know about being wise and being drawn to people who are wise, eh, we're still pretty foolish most of the time. As a human people, we tend to be pretty foolish and focused on the wrong things. And we fill ourselves with things and we waste our time. In the Bible study this week, someone asked in verse 16, what does it mean because the days are evil? 
What does that mean? It means we don't know how many we get. Time is always working against us. We don't know how long we've got. We don't know how many days we have. So we're to make each one precious and to use it to its fullest, to make the most of time. We waste a lot of time. If you have a smartphone, you waste a lot of time or a tablet or computer or streaming services on your television. Nobody's free from wasting time. But this is a lesson my wife and I learned over the last couple of years the hard way. When my mom was diagnosed with cancer out of the blue at the end of April in 2019, she was 59 years old, and we didn't have a history of cancer in our family. Heart disease, sure. Stroke, yes. High blood pressure, absolutely. But not cancer. She had gone to the emergency room thinking she maybe was having a heart attack with all this chest pressure. She had a tumor in her lung. Over the year, her 11 months that she had treatment until she died, and in that time, spending a lot of time with her, having her live with us, having her die with us, we spent a lot of time evaluating what's important. We had this kind of idea that the days are evil thrown back at us, that we're not guaranteed anything. We're not guaranteed retirement. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So how do we spend our days? What is important? We started making some changes. We started getting rid of stuff. That was step one. This idea of minimalism came into our life, of paring down, getting rid of clutter, getting rid of things we don't need. We wanted to move into a smaller house, one that was well below our means, so we had resources to do other things with our kids. We wanted to make each day precious and each day count, and not to wake up one day having life passed us by and having not lived it. I'll never forget, I've sat with a lot of people as a chaplain at the end of their lives, but I will never forget one woman. She was over the age of 100. And she didn't have anything specific. She was just dying from old age. Things were shutting down. And she tearfully said on one of my visits that she wished she could go back and do it over again. She didn't feel like she lived enough. The day-to-day task that needed to be done got in the way of what she wanted to do, of the passion she had, and she didn't have a chance to live those out. I've heard more from people who are dying talk about their regrets of not being there for people, about not taking that trip, about not doing the things that made a difference. They worked too much, and they missed life of their kids. 
This idea of being wise means making the most of our days, I think is one that has a a profound impact on us as a church. To live in the now, to do the things that are before us, to meet the needs that come before us, to not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow takes care of itself. God will provide if there's a tomorrow but being filled with the Spirit now. I truly believe that as we talk about having faith, maturing in our faith, and what that looks like for us, I think for each of us, there becomes this process of whittling down what matters, of removing the noise from our lives and focusing on the things that matter most. serving others, being there for our families, loving other people, working to meet the needs of others, bringing joy to others, loving others. All of these are the signs of wisdom. So today, this day, Not tomorrow, not next week, today. Because today is all you're promised. Have your eyes and your ears and your hearts open to pay attention to what God brings before you, to how God's moving around you and through you, and be wise and follow. Be wise and meet the needs before you. Be wise and bring joy to those around you. Be wise and share the hope of Christ with those who are in desperate need of hope. Let us leave our foolishness behind and embrace the wisdom of God, making the most of every single day. Amen.